サードコーストベースラジオラディオスサヘルサリスベース第三海岸第一收音機トリチラジオバスギターレバシシルバスラディオカテオよはい。
Yo, that fucking mix was amazing. We got Jeremy, a.k.a. Sinistar, on the fucking beat. Say what's up to the people, Jeremy. Hello, hello, hello. Yo. How's it going? Man. What up, though? That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. Let's just get right into it. So tell me about yourself. Who is Jeremy? Who's Sinistar? Where are you from? Um... I am from Detroit, Michigan. Um, I have been putting out records for the past 15 years now um, mm. on all sorts of labels. I've been known for to make drum and bass records and jungle records. And I've been on like most of the prime drum and bass labels um, from Metalheads to uh ready Aid hardware and all these other kind of legacy labels and stuff and uh yeah one of the few americans to be in that um world basically and uh yeah super dope so making more stuff making more music so let's talk about this um <clears throat> give me just a little bit of information about your musical background um i was more self-taught um basically i've got a couple lessons here and there and then um in terms of like um, sound engineering and stuff like that. Um, I took maybe like a couple classes on like learning how everything works, how studio equipment works. Okay. And um, yeah, pretty much uh, learned how to put those two together. So it was mostly piano that I was like getting into in terms of like um, uh, learning some lessons and stuff like that, so. Interesting, so do you feel <clears throat> that that kind of gave you a slight um, advantage as far as where you are, you know, personally, or do you kind of regret that maybe you didn't go in the aspects of, hey, I play guitar, I'm trying to be classically trained in some uh, harpsichord <laughs> lifestyle? No, no, I think, like, because... Uh... Most people, um, like the people that showed me, you know, even though you know, some of them were super classically trained, but, um, you know, they were willing to shed that information. They weren't just like, oh, well, then you have to, you know, I, I think it would be super arrogant of them, to, you know, to be like, oh, well, you know, if you want to learn how to do this, then pay for this and go to college. Like, or something like that, you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, they were just happy enough to share that, you know, as friends and as, like, musical peers and stuff. So it was kind of like uh, gaining experience, real-world experience, if you will. Like, I'll as take opposed that. To the, Actually, I, <laughs> I do appreciate that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> just really knowing the ins and outs of the industry, I think getting into, like, um, yeah, just getting into... Uh, the in, like I said, the 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 net the inner workings, if you will, right? <laughs> and really understanding like you know how to really uh, talk to people, how to really like interact with folks, you know, different labels, different artists, and et cetera, et cetera, you know, or, or globally, if you will. Um, so let me kind of bring it back a little bit. Tell me about your origin story. Like, where does the moniker Sinistar come from? Uh, that was from an old video game um, <laughs> called Sinistar from um, 
Williams. It's like an old stand-up arcade game. It was like one of the first to use stereo. That's actually the first time I've heard an origin story come from a video game, I think. Um, oh, wild. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, because like with the style of music and things people play nowadays, you know, I, you'd think that it would be part of the influence, but I don't know. As far as <clears throat> where Sinistar lies in the mix, tell me, and um, let's just go ahead and hop into that as well. Tell me about your mix. So, yeah, just kind of representative of where I'm from, being from Detroit, and then like kind of being here in Denver and uh, seeing how it's kind of parallel universe. It's been influential, pretty influential that way. It's like bass music here is like kind of like bigger than techno and house here. And then you go to Detroit where techno and house is bigger than bass music. And it's like, you know, I have those two kind of like planes to navigate through. And it's nice, nice for that. Like to be able to, uh, yeah, to be able to um, interact with the two. And <clears throat> it's, it's amazing how you've been able to like confluence the spaces because it's more um, <clears throat> with drum and bass is especially it's very it's like people nonchalantly speak about it all the time, especially in the UK scene. But you are here with it right now. Right. So tell me about your influences. Um, pardon me, especially with your own music sense, you know? Like who, what were the artists that made you want to get into this? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> nice. That's a great question. <laughs> there was a lot, that's why. That's a great question, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of the Detroit techno, I mean, you know, the, the big three, basically the guys who started techno, who were like a big influence on me. Like, and for all the people who are who don't know about the big three, can you name them, please? Uh, Kevin Saunderson, Derek May, and Juan Atkins. Mm, okay. These are the guys that invented techno music. It was like new wave, electro, kind of like... Uh, they, that's the stuff they were playing in black clubs in Detroit, basically, in the 80s. Right. So they got big influence. There's a guy on the radio, too, called uh, Electrifying Mojo. Tight. And uh, he used to uh, play a lot of, like... He used to play, like, the latest Prince records and basically see, like, like play, like... Yeah, when Juan Atkins put out this tune called Clear, he, like, played that first on the radio. You know, that really gave them their break to, like, and, um, do the thing. Like, your uh, first initial influences came from Detroit techno, obviously. So let's talk about that. Like, who, like, what inspired you? What song, or do you remember what track or what moment it was where you were like, fuck it, this is it? The moment was kind of like a long, long, ongoing thing, I should say. Like, a, a, like a long-standing thing for me, and that's the radio. Um Interesting. There were mixes. People were mixing on the radio, like, left, right, and center, basically, like, on Detroit radio. I mean, they still are, but not to the effect that, you know, um, you're, you're talking about, like, Black Detroit, basically, and, like, yeah. the 19... Uh, late 1980s into the 1990s, like, you know, techno take, took off already. Dance music is a thing. Like, you know, people are going to raves. People are going to, like, all these different shows. 
And um, yeah, it's just Detroit decided to, um, you know, a lot of, of the black stations anyway, decided to um, have the have the DJs come on and mix on the radio. So there's like old mixes from like, you know, I have old mixes from like 1999 where people like calling in from work and then like shouting out people and like <laughs> going from there, you know what I mean? So like when you, you know, hearing that music, um, that's, you know, what you wanted to emulate and that's how you wanted to project yourself towards the community that you were about, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I wanted that. It was just representative of like, a lot of different things, a lot of different influences, like, you know, video games and art and, um, you know, more dance music, basically. Like, I've been listening to dance music for such a long time, you know, since I was right. in my, like, single digits, basically. So, which is, like, I go to other places other than, like, um, you know, I, I spent almost 30 years and 30 summers in Baltimore, so, you know, I was a, like, it's you know, wild. I had a, the Aaliyah era was in my Walkman headphones and stuff like that. So, <laughs> that, so, so 1998 was like a crazy time for music yeah. anyway. A lot of and our viewers like, don't even really kind of understand that, like what that yeah. means. So, yeah. again, you guys get your fucking notes up. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I would like to ask um, just at what do you remember the time in your life specifically when you decided that this is what you wanted to focus on? Um, I was at one point in nursing school. For wait, wait, wait! You were gonna be a nurse? Yeah, this was what from two thousand four, two thousand eight. I was basically gonna do like, uh, basically I was gonna go through all my prerequisites and all that stuff, but. 2008 hit. Before so you. basically, I had to wait two years uh, to even get into the school because there was so such a demand for um, people who lost all their jobs to go in. The medical field was the only like standing thing. And so people jumped to that field. So you had all these people that were like, had absolutely nothing to do. They were our accountants. Fucking and shit. No, actually, they probably weren't accountants. They were Full probably, circle. The accountants were probably good. But I mean, like, the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh I, somebody you know i had someone in our class that was like in marketing and then you know she couldn't find anything so she got in nursing so yeah it was a lot of that but then i had nothing to do with it because i was like just working like an at-will employee elsewhere and basically going to school and yeah once i like <laughs> once it all once um it all came together and stuff like that i was already like um well when 2010 rolled around i should say um yeah that's when my metalheads record like or when i got picked up by metalheads basically um which is like the label run by goldie and that entire time you were you know like making music objectively or, you know, trying to send your music out, but... Like oh, I was still traveling. I started traveling okay. in, like, 2008, um, like, state to state and stuff like that. That's so, insane. Yeah. So it wasn't, <laughs> like... Yeah, but, I mean, no, it still was that, too, you know? I was still on that grind, like, sending music out to people and, like... But that yeah, was definitely, that was definitely like, like, the breaking point, right? Yeah, that was, like, the, the top part, for sure. Like, you know, wasn't... Uh, definitely wasn't the peak. Do you feel like you've learned something um, that you might not have otherwise 
Um, the level of patience that I've had, actually. That's what I learned. That's what I learned. Interesting. Definitely. I've learned how to, like, wait. I've learned how to hurry up and wait. I've learned how to hurry up and just wait. send that email again. <laughs> Do it again and again, you know, so on and so forth. So, um, I'd like to ask, um, you know, as a person of color, like, like the virtue of patience or just, you know, everything that you do with your objectives in your own career, do you feel like it's been a hurdle in itself? No, I, I feel like, I don't know, everything's uphill, really. Like, uphill so, battle. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, like, yeah, just there's always something, but at the same time, you know, you keep learning how to solve it, how to, like, work your way through it, be it a mix down, be it making a track, be coming up with ideas and concepts and things like that, you know, not so much making content like everyone loves to do nowadays. Like, I don't do that, really. It's like, I like <laughs> to make music. Like, I like to push the art. I'm not here to push, like, Yeah, that product. TikTok content shit yeah. is, what the fuck is that? People show? play, oh. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, people buy our vinyl, but people play our vinyl, you know? They're like, to, people buy it to play it, so. So... I just have to ask, um, this is one of the questions that I ask pretty much every person since season one on the podcast. Um, <clears throat> if you could go back 10 years, um, give yourself a little piece of advice, or um, if you were speaking to a mentee um, and just giving them a little bit of tidbit of information what advice would that be to yourself or to them? Uh, you'll be fine. Here's where I hop into um, your mind as a producer. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite doll? Um, right now, well, I use a bunch of things in terms of workflow and stuff. So it's a few things um, okay. because I like how I can kind of move between all of them now. Um, Ableton. He's a pro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ableton, Bitwig, and Renoise. And um, Ableton, I'm sure many people have heard of Ableton and Bitwig. And um, Renoise is like a really crazy program. Um, That's maybe, hilarious. I was going to say, I haven't. We'll drop a link in the comments or something. Boop, boop. I don't know where the comments are going to be, but you know, wherever. Yeah. Fucking Renoise. I'm pointing down at the screen right now. Like, <laughs> drop a link in the comments. So, yeah, renoise.com, like, check that out and All see right. how y'all feel about so, it. So, that's interesting. So, tell me about your workflow. Like, uh, it seems like it's not just a tool for you. It seems like you use these dolls for specific purposes. So, let's talk about that. Um, so, yeah, so basically, um, for Ableton, I do two things. I'll do arrangement if I need to do anything complex like MIDI. And then the other thing I do is a uh, generative MIDI, where I basically uh, use like um, Reactor or like a similar program, or like or some sort of arpeggiator, basically, and uh, like basically hit record. I can change chord progressions and different chord variations or note variations and stutters and things like that. And it's tracking all of it basically in um, Ableton. That's as super dope. It. So yeah. And then, For all um, you newbies out there, listen. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, for the other stuff, um, for Bitwig, um, I arrange, uh, do stuff, like remix arrangements and stuff like that if I need to time stretch anything. So basically, <laughs> I arrange all of that and put it into um, in, in Arenoise, right? So if I'm doing a remix, it's like Bitwig, set it up. It has, Bitwig has amazing time stretching, by the way, too. So um, for that, like, um, I, I'll arrange in that and then move it to Renoise and then do my remix and set up everything, like, use everything in there. Um, yeah, and then for original tunes and stuff like that, yeah, I'll probably work here in Ableton when we're, like, what we're recording in right now. And uh, <laughs> Shout out. Can a nigga get a sponsor? Hey. <laughs> sponsor. Okay. All right. So if you are... You know, you have your project open, whatever. What's your go-to, like, <clears throat> you know, you're, no matter what this track is, I have this in the track. Uh, breaks. Let me ask you, do you think the Amon Brothers got paid enough money or? No. <laughs> but, uh, thanks for not saying all of us. I mean, can we, can we? <laughs> Can we talk about just not suing They were very cool about it, right? Yeah, because they were incredibly cool about it. Yeah, they could have done it. (laughs) They could have aired it out, definitely. Aired us all out. If it just breaks for you, do you feel like there's too many plugins, not enough plugins for Uh, music? What do you think? I like plugins. I love plugins. You fuck with plugins? What's your favorite? Give me your favorite one. Favorite one? Um, Reactor Laser Bass. It's a subtractive synth, right? But you can basically mess with, like, harmonics and things like that on it um, and pretty much come up with some crazy monophonic bass lines and things like that. All right, so let's talk about what you got going on in the future. Like, what what projects? Do you got some, you know, obviously maybe some new tracks or some new streams or some fucking... What you got going on? Um, well, um, I've got some shows coming up. Got some music. Uh, I'm playing with uh, Barkley Crenshaw and Yeti. Yeah, that's back in Detroit, uh, the Magic Stick. Um, and then um, I'm playing at I'm playing in Montreal um, in November. Yeah, just got a bunch of remixes. Couple more remixes coming out. Had a few come out just recently. Um, I don't talk about future. <laughs> even even though they came out last month, they're but they're a month old now. That one came out on Young Art, which is a Toki Masa's label um, for Rochelle Jordan. Uh, and then the other one came out on a Detroit label called Step Two um, on uh, digital and vinyl as well. So. Absolutely amazing, brother. Like, honestly. Thank you, thank yeah, you, thank you. <laughs> the work that you're putting out there is incredible. Um, and I just hope that the viewers are inspired by this one because I definitely am. So I just have to ask, um, you know, a lot of people, they need to know this. Like, where can people find you? Where are you at on the internet? Um you can literally Google my DJ name and everything <laughs> will pop up. Um, you got your SEO on point or what? Oh, yeah. 
Definitely. <laughs> I own, I claim my knowledge panel. Okay, so this is definitely something that I've brought up multiple times with multiple artists. Claim your knowledge panel. Yo, a lot of people don't have their search engine optimization. They don't have their knowledge panels or anything like exactly. that. So if you're a new artist in the game, can you give those people just a little bit of advice? Yeah, it doesn't cost anything. You just fill out the form <laughs> and then just basically, yeah, Google will let you know if you're verified or not. And then it'll correct everything, basically. So I had crazy misspellings beforehand. Like, yeah. there was, like, if I looked up, if you typed in Sinistar, right, and then it popped up, and then it just, like, shows up misspelled. If somebody was, like, you know how you, you're, like, typing on Twitter or whatever, what somebody's, like, mockingly, like, the capitalized letters and stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. somebody's YouTube channel that had the same name from, like, years ago. <laughs> somebody's, like, like a Greco-Roman like wrestling channel or something like it was weird like you probably find like thing it wasn't my channel I was say it was like <laughs> <laughs> it was my it was definitely not like my channel let me chipping yeah 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 <laughs> cap <laughs> um yeah so basically like uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah once I got that taken care of, yeah, everything showed up properly. Like, As yeah, if anything, I need to, like, display on there or something happens or whatever where something's misspelled or, yeah, something comes up where it doesn't, basically it's not your, it doesn't have anything to do with you um, in terms of your name or anything like that or somebody's misrepresenting you, there's spam. Yeah. You know, with Instagram, they've got all these, like, crazy spam accounts and stuff. Yeah. So we me a knowledge panel. We've been getting a, a, a lot of uh, inquiries about things like that. And um, <clears throat> cybersecurity. Yeah. And it's it's very great to have someone who fucking knows what they're doing. Um, perturbably, because we've had a bunch of people who've been on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And <laughs> you ever been on fucking Spotify and now all of a sudden someone's claiming your shit and it's your song and then now all of a sudden like yeah you ever done dealt with that or no no um <laughs> well actually no i did on soundcloud the other day there's this rapper from south africa the other day Sinistar, but then like the song was good but then like uh people were hitting me up they're like yo that new hip-hop one was dope i was Would like you that just, wasn't me you should just collab with them huh um, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, like, hey, I'm not mad, but, like, I mean, like, I worked with, you know, I already worked with the South, I'm already working with a South African artist right now anyway, so it's like, hey. International boys. This is shit I'm talking Continental. <laughs> like we do. Yo, okay. All right. So, last thing, actually, this is the part that I like the most because the universe is actually infinite when it comes to musicality if you could recommend people on this podcast or if you had any person that you just wanted to shout out right now like people that you just fuck with artistically who would you shout out right now who would i shout out right now oh man i'm just go by cities shout out everybody in denver detroit Reykjavik, Hong Kong, Melbourne, uh, Taipei, 
all those people, like just continents of people and influence. Shout, like there's so many people. It's like, but shouts to all of them. They knew who they are, definitely. Like, if you could have two people, oops, two people on this podcast, who would you have? You should definitely get Rick Zier. He's a drum bass DJ. Another one of us, our black uh, producer friends from uh, Los Angeles, by way of Cleveland. So he's he's making waves right now. Like he's on he's at yeah he's all over the place. He plays like Outlook Festival, played all these other spots. Like yeah, he does a bunch of parties in LA. He's like kind of like um, the next generation, basically, of like the drum and bass scene out there. Um, yeah, definitely. Have a chat with him. Pick his brain about some cool shit. You know what I'm saying. I'd love to meet him. Um. Also, the other person is uh, Coral Style. Should get definitely get him. Uh, Coral got signed to um. Uh, Gourmet. Oh, he signed some tracks with Gourmet Beats, and um, yeah, he's makes incredible music and like, yeah, has a very interesting like background on like his musical influences and stuff like that. And his music's like raw and dope. Like, yeah, he has some cool stuff, so, yeah. No, I'm definitely going to check out both of those artists and um, hopefully we can all link up after that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just want to say, honestly, man, this has been super fucking dope. I would just like to open up the floor for you to give, you know, like last words of wisdom to anyone listening to this podcast. So my favorite producers, um, in terms of like record producers and stuff, um, was Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, uh, the Janet Jackson's producers. Hmm. Um, they have been for, since the start of her career. And, um, yeah, I was watching one of those um, Red Bull lectures that they had when they had the Academy. Um, and uh, in the interview, uh, you know, it was like a two and a half hour thing, like, you know, dedicated your time to like really listen to it. Um, uh, these guys also worked with Prince. They worked with like Morris Day and like all these funk bands and stuff. Like they were like in the group flight time. And uh, yeah, they've had about 70 like hits like worldwide, nice. like over the course of 30 plus years of their career or something like that. And um, on this lecture, he was like one of the guys, you know, they both agreed to it, obviously. But um, one of the guys said, don't be hot, be warm for a really long time. And I was like, ah, right. <laughs> yep. That's uh don't be hot, be warm for a really long time. Um, I can't wrap this up any better than you've done because this has been an honor. So hey, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Last words of wisdom to the viewers or no? Hey, keep going. Keep fucking going, boys. <laughs> keep Yo. take it with you. How are you? Oh, I'm so glad I can be with you until you're feeling all better again. No, I get pretty lonely without you. My name is
so good. I just didn't feel like playing anymore. So I went home and I got all comfy and cozy and all scrunched up in front of my phonograph. And I sat there and I closed my eyes and listened to all the sweet music.
sinning in the city of Sodom until my mama see my name in the obituary column and they still will be killing me like I'm killing Hillary Rodham smoking brimstones the molten rock you want to sell your soul the devil's overstock commit the crime Instagram the photo better be watching in every borough political rhetoric of Jim Crow something wicked this way coming below it's a private Abaddon is it Mr. Farrakhan and inside of the rotten apple we living in Babylon need to fit in that narrative when they feel will move you when they try to rule you ruin those who are truthful they use you they fool you the voodoo pazuzu the Hollywood holly weird who's who and who's new the zombie society they've never been alive as they follow in a blind walk at the genocide and another young one done with a gun blast St. Louis, Detroit, Chi-Town, bloodbath living in the wicked world will it ever get better 147 kids that were killed in Kenya Paris and Brussels, Orlando, Aurora the church in Charleston, the horror, the slaughter enforcing the laws of the border wars bodies of migrants on the border shores as we enter the twilight school dimension where they sure to shank you with no redemption the Hollywood Terry Crews is molested and in the era the apprentice's president LSD masculine human experiment American idiocracy evident leaving the dream of the demon gene is it an evil queen is she the evil I hear small. voices in my head that's telling me to run away But I'ma stand and fight, stand and fight for what I believe in To bring a new day, bring a new
was legendary absolute nonsense right there yo for the people listening out there we got your boy michael minnert on the motherfucking ones and twos threes and fours say what's up to the people mike hey what's up michael minnert on the ones and zeros yo thank you so much i really appreciate your time thank you for being on the podcast man so let's just go ahead and jump right into it bro tell me a little bit about yourself uh who is michael where are you from what's your background uh i was born in poland uh during the days of a communist uh, regime, and my wow. dad was an active um, anti-war, anti-political kind of uh, human being, part of the solidarity movement. And nice. he had been—he had been—he uh, was teaching English in Poland, um, and so they allowed him to go to England for a few weeks every year to kind of be immersed and keep his language skills up and he just kind of saw that the west wasn't what the propaganda said you know it wasn't like this um just terrible place of crime and lust and whatnot like the yeah propaganda much like the propaganda that we have here about china and stuff <laughs> you know where it's like oh all these places are our enemy but no one's actually been there you know right um so yeah so we basically became refugees and fled to germany first and then to america um ended up in loveland colorado um, what a journey. And then moved up to Fort Collins because my dad became a librarian at the jail. And my mom was a plant pathologist at CSU. And uh, pretty much grew up along the front range. Um, was really into music most of my life. It was like the, I was an only child, so music was kind of like the friend in my head, you know? Yeah. Like I would sing songs to myself on the playground and stuff and just be a weirdo, you know? Like cool. standing up on the on the playground material, just like, ah! <laughs> you know, just singing Phil Collins songs and shit. Hell um, yeah. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, uh, um, what got me into music was, I think my dad really loved music. I just saw the connection he had to it and seeing his records back in Poland and, and, uh, and then his CD collection when he kind of transferred everything to CDs in the 90s when we moved here. Um, everything was... You know, just reading the liner notes, seeing the pictures, just kind of connecting the dots between people that were in bands and different things. And um, and he had also been really into, like, kind of soundscape, um, electronic music like Vangelis, uh, Tangerine Dream, um, Mike Oldfield, who I'm, who's not electronic, but it's more like a kind of soundscape rather than contemporary rock or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so my dad was... Um, he he was collecting like keyboards and synths, and he was kind of he had this little studio, and I was That's taking cool. piano lessons at the time. So he would teach me. He taught me like, how to turn on the like a, I think probably like the DX7 or something that had like cheesy ass piano sound, you know, <laughs> before we had a piano in the house. Yeah. Um, so I could practice piano for my lessons, and I you know, it was in our upstairs like two story house, and it was like above the garage. So I'd like come home from school and like turn on all this stuff and like. Mess with the drum machine, trying to do stuff. Fuck and then yeah. he had the garage open and, like, get it all back to reset and, like, turn <laughs> oh, it all shit, off. Hold up. I was practicing the piano, you know? <laughs> That's cool. He probably wouldn't have been upset, but, you know, it was just, like, I was, like, oh, I'm off task. Um, so from an early age, I, would, I just, like, seen that music wasn't just notes. It was textures and stuff through synthesis and through, through the bands that it was into and things like Hawkwind and uh, just weird kind of – and bands like The Residents that just did really cool collage and um, avant-garde composition there was just a, a lot of stuff that was uh, kind of burned into my brain before I started making music myself that kind of let me start from a point where it wasn't just chord structure and music theory. It was more like feeling and, and texture, you know? Right, definitely. And that's what I was kind of asked. So, like, you you know, you had this, you know, semi-classical upbringing and you're kind of like, you know, trying to fuck around you know, in the background while your dad, you know, isn't in the area. So, like, <clears throat> like at what point do you feel like it kind of clicked for you where you were like, all right, this is a, this is the life that I want to live, you know, for the rest of my life? I mean, in, like, eighth and ninth grade, I, I got a guitar and started wanting to, like, play in, in a band because, like, I was taking guitar. I was taking piano lessons in, like, I think fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. I like, took, like, three years of piano. Okay. Never got really good at it because <laughs> they were trying to teach me classical stuff and I like wanted that shit's to learn. Not fun. You know, like I, I didn't care about what Rachmaninoff did or Mozart did. I mean, you know, they, they're brilliant people, but it was just like, yeah, when you're a 12 year old kid, you don't care about that. It doesn't you know? compute like, you know, for that's us. That's not what I, you know, my parents would take me to recitals and stuff like up at the Stanley and Estes, and I was just like, this is cool, but I want to be hanging out with my friends. Like, I don't want to be at a recital, you know, watching a, a violin quartet or a string quartet, you know? Right. Uh, you know, in retrospect, I'm glad they did because it opened my mind to a lot of stuff, but it's just, you know, when you're a kid, it's like, it's like sometimes when you take kids hiking and stuff and they're just like, yeah, cool, a mountain. They don't get that. Like, yeah. You know, like you live and you go around and you're like the majesty of nature and stuff kind of gets imparted upon you. But when you're a kid, you are, you have so much nature and imagination and brilliance right. in your own brain that you're like, yeah, that mountain's cool, but <laughs> I got aliens and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of shit going on in my head. head. So, um, <laughs> so, yeah. So about ninth grade, um, started playing in bands and um, uh, started playing – uh, actually, my buddy Paul, who was known as Paul Basic, who's now in prime form, he's playing with me on New Year's at the Aggie. Um, me and him sort of were going out at ninth, ninth grade together in Fort Collins at this thing called the, the IB School, which was like an advanced placement kind of thing. Basically, a lot more busy work, but they kind of give you like some college prep and 
like a basically like a half a year of college by the time you graduate high school. You know? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, like advanced, advanced high school. I failed that real fast. I, did not, I was like four hours of homework a night. Nope. Fuck that shit. <laughs> you know? I can't. I can't bullshit my way through this. Uh, so, um, but yeah. So I met Paul there, and we were kind of, he was playing drums, and we played together a little bit, and. At the same time, um, I was playing with um, this guy named Jordan Luckett, who had a drum kit, and he also had, like, you know, he was into synthesis, and he had, like, a little radio broadcasting thing in his basement, you know, a little practice room. So he was, like, cool. doing, like, little radio shows with nobody. Nice. Pirate radio type shit. Radio, yeah. <laughs> nice. So it was cool because, like, that, you know, things like that, where there's these little things that influence you when you're growing up that you don't even realize, realize it, where you just have these friends that are doing cool things, you know? Right. And then you're like, oh, that's actually kind of special. Not everybody had that, you know? Right. Um. But yeah, so I remember one day I was going to, there's this kid named Harley Lyman that lived around the corner from me, and, he, and me and him built like a little fun box in front of his house, going back to the whole skateboarding thing um, that kind of was a big influence in my life too. Um, and I used to go there after school and just skate for a while until my parents got home. And one day, this dude comes with a, a, a skateboard with no grip tape, <laughs> shaved head, he's like six foot seven, carrying a bass guitar. It's Derek, Derek Smith, uh, of Pretty Lights uh, and uh, and other things, um, and we started skating. Actually, I, th I think he didn't come with the bass the first time. He was, we, he, went, he was skating, and I was like, "Why does this guy got no skate, no no grip tape? How can he have you ollie?" Yeah, he's like, "I'm trying out something new." <laughs> like, All right, bro, <laughs> you know. Um, but you know, he's he's just this dude that like, you know, I I ran into him one time when I was like walking to. Walking home from the bus stop because I, I went to a, a school that was further away in the advanced program, and, you know. I, and I was like just kind of like a, a a little spazzy kid, like not really class clown, but I, you know, I tried to make jokes and stuff, and um, wasn't really good with girls and stuff. And then this dude that's just like six foot whatever, you know, is walking, and he's got he's like uh, he's got like a girl on each arm, you know, <laughs> like walking <laughs> walking to the high school I'm coming from. And I'm like, oh, man, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to see a fight. <laughs> back, 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 in the yeah, back like, in those days. Fight in the park today. Yeah, you don't see that shit no more. For the, for the fight. <laughs> and I was like, man, this guy is so cool, you know? Just thinking, like, you, know, you just see people here. Like, he has that thing where people uh, people are drawn to him. That, that radiance. That, that, that radiance yeah. and just that, that kind of, like, that natural kind of, like, people will follow you, you know, like yeah. a leadership kind of thing. Yeah, charisma um, points on one ma 100 max, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then he, he started coming to the skate spot around the corner because uh, it was just like a little neighborhood, you know, before there was like a lot of skate parks around and shit. Yeah. And then one day he brought his bass. And I was like, oh, you play bass? We need a bassist for our band. And we started playing with our, um, with Jordan, our drummer. And I remember one time we got in this like, like me and Derek were really serious about it. You know, like we were like in that zone where we're like, man, in two months we're gonna be on MTV. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah, just, just badass. Just the just the childhood dreams, you know. Fuck like, yeah, delusional. And our drummer was just like, I don't really care. I just want to fucking play and have Always fun. Always fucking know? drummers mentality. What's up you with know, that? Like, <laughs> like they're just like whatever you got. Because I mean, because for them it's like it's like especially at that age, I feel like it's like such a a release of energy. You know, yeah. it's like for us it was a release of emotion. You know, and like, and like, I'm gonna make songs. I'm gonna write things that I'm feeling right now, and like, yeah. play these things that like give me a feel. It wasn't as energetic and as like bodily involved. Whereas drummers are just like, I just wanna fucking play tombfills and cymbals <laughs> and, right. and shit. You know. <laughs> um, and I remember we walked outside, and like, there was a band practicing across the street, and it was like, uh, it was like an older band. They sounded real dope. You know, like, oh man, it was like real inspirational. Yeah. That dude, one of the dudes, uh, drummer was Corey Everhart, who ended up being the the drummer for Listen and the first drummer for Pretty Lights. Um, but you know, yeah, like a weird cosmic 
coincidence, you know? But then, yeah, we got a different drummer. Eventually ended up with Paul in high school. Uh, we were called The Freeze. Um, played a bunch of shows. Then we all went to CU Boulder and uh, rented a garage where one of our band members, like, lived under this table, like, in, like, <laughs> like a, uh, our buddy Ben. He was just, like, he was down for the cause, so he, like, took a year off of college because he was a year older than us and went to Boulder with us. Yeah. Lived in a garage and just waited for us to get out of class and we'd practice and write <laughs> songs and stuff. And Fuck we were, yeah. you know, doing, um, well, like, doing kind of, like, uh, slam poetry slash, you know, uh, rap kind of stuff uh, at open mics around Boulder and stuff, just trying to get comfortable in front of crowds with our voices and stuff. We were already rapping and stuff, but it was, like, yeah. going from high school to then being, like, out in the world, you know, trying to, like, find your voice. Um, and then after that, we moved back to Fort Collins. We, we were all like, let's just be the band. And Paul was kind of getting heavy into a relationship and was going to move out of town, so we started playing with Corey, that drummer I was talking about. Right. Um, called ourselves Listen, started doing a lot of shows around town, kind of had, like, a... A, a local following we started doing you know we played with a bunch of hip-hop acts that were my heroes you know uh atmosphere sage francis idea and abilities living legends um de la soul black sheep badass uh, talib quali uh we opened for like macio parker opened for uh g love and the special sauce um bunch of people you know like we just we, we were like basically like the the band that could do like instrumental stuff, but then also like do like just like a DJ and hip hop sets, you know? So yeah, we, we were versatile. Yeah. And we would just be like, let us open that one. No, let us open that one too, you know? And then we started doing free shows <laughs> at the Aggie where we got a cut at the bar. Nice. And that was legendary because we that was like the first taste of like selling out shows, even though it was free, you know? <laughs> like, right. Um, and, just, and just having people like start knowing the songs and stuff, you know, and be like, all right, this this is a real thing now, you know? Right. Um, and then Derek and I just started working on. Um, I'm just giving you my whole story. Yeah, this, <laughs> I'm, I want to hear it. <laughs> I want to hear we're it. Almost done. Uh, so Derek and I uh, started working on our we, because we were, you know, uh, Ben had left uh, Listen to be in a different band that he was in a hip hop group called Sweet Nectar, and we were like on the road. We were about to go on tour, and we had to go pick him up, and we had a feeling he wasn't gonna come on tour. You know, yeah, it's like things were already, you know, like when you're just like, I don't know if this guy really wants to be in the band have anymore. Have a plan B um, just in case. And we want to pick him up, and he's like, Yeah, I'm gonna stay here and work with Gabe on the album. We're like, Okay, cool. And we like we're practicing without him anyway, just to be just be safe. Yeah. So then it became a four piece. Ken Daly, the DJ uh, and producer, and he also rapped. Um, he, you know, he had a daughter, and he was a he was like a professor at. Uh, he was an uh, assistant professor at CU, but then he ended up being a professor at, like, Texas A&M or someplace, you know? Nice. Um, but, you know, his life was kind of moving on towards that. Corey was a drummer, and he was doing his own stuff, too. But, like, Derek and I were basically the primary the primary songwriters of the band, you know? Yeah. And so we were kind of like, you know, after years of being in a band where, like, you're still scraping by, we were kind of like, man, let's just do a project where we just produce some shit, you know? We don't have to think about how we're going to, who's going to play what part or whatever, we'll just make some shit, you know? Yeah. And that's how Pretty Lights was born. It was kind of like our escape from being in a band, you know? Yeah. Um, that's crazy. And we were, like, so tired of having to having to spend money burning CDs, you know? Or burning CDs or or printing CDs and then having to, you know, going to, we'd be on tour doing door deals in places and, like, it'd be like that. It'd be like that, uh, that scene in Blues Brothers where, like, they're, like, throwing bottles of chicken wire, you know? Like, that kind of thing. We'd be, like, country bars and stuff in the middle of nowhere. Like, ten people there, like, flipping us off and stuff, you know? Um, so Putting in that so, fucking and, and work, then, though. And then trying to convince those people to buy a $10 CD after a show when they're like, I paid yeah. a $3 cover just to get into my favorite bar. Like, Fuck you guys, you know? Yeah, like, no, that's a serious um, grind work right there, though. So, like, doing that kind of shit, it just was, we were, like, so, you know, it just felt like we were, like, uh, 
like just burnt out from it, even though we were only in our twenties, you know? Yeah. It was just like, fuck man, like this is this is a lot harder. It was like pre-internet days. I mean, not pre-internet, but like pre-social media pre and shit. Tweet about it or put a, a show on Instagram. It was just like yeah. you would get shows booked in other states, drive out there with a Rand McNally map, you know, or MapQuest. Shout out MapQuest. And hope that the promoter had people come out or hope that something happened. Yeah, Sometimes back in the day. great shows, but a lot of times, like a lot of them were like 10, 15 people and you yeah. just felt really depressed the whole time, you know? Right. And you and like you're like fuck. We don't have money for the next show. You know, like, yeah. You know, we have to like. That's when the promoters or, actually had to know. promote their fucking shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and it wasn't like okay, I'm gonna promote the show now. I want to have you do all the social media. I need you to make three posts a day. You know, all yeah. This, it's like that kind of thing now. But so you know, all that stuff. It just became so um, cost prohibitive to put out music because you had to. You know, a thousand CDs would cost like two thousand dollars, and that's a lot of money when you're you know, dead broke. <laughs> and having a job yeah. when you're having shows like every few weekends, you know, it's like hard to do. It's fucking most impossible. Like, okay, I'm going to be gone Tuesday through Friday. And the next week, I, I need Thursday and Saturday off. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, I have a job. You know, exactly. So like, <laughs> there's, not, there's very few people that are are cool with that. So, you know, we were like selling weed on the side and stuff, you know, just trying to make ends meet. Just, just yeah. do whatever we can to like um, stay afloat. We're living in houses together. And then our house got burned down when we were on the road once. Shit. Um, I think because one of our band members owed money or something. I don't know, you know? Um, and that was kind of like the splitting point where we're like, all right, like me and Derek kind of like got our own place. We're like, let's just be responsible for ourselves. We're doing the, we were like, yeah, we're the old homies anyway. And we were, we'd been like growing up with NPCs, you know, we both got an NPC within a month of each other and we're like learning, you know, it's like, yeah, we were kind of like side by side in that sense. And just, it felt like there was a camaraderie there with that, you know? Um, and it was just like, like I said, since we were starting to work on the pretty light stuff, it was like, that was an easier route than just having to try to have four people worth yeah. the bills. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, but yeah, so that's like, I mean, but we were also like, we, we want to put this out, but we don't want to, you know, we, we had lived through uh, Napster and stuff like that. And we saw the effectiveness of that. You know, like I remember rap artists would come through and fans would be like, Oh, I bought your CD. I didn't go on Napster. Like, well, the reason why people are here is because of Napster, you know, yeah. I could download my music for free, figure out I'm dope and then come to my show and buy my merch, you know? Yep. And that's like that's kind of like the model of streaming now, you know. It's like yeah, it's like, it's like the you're 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 paid in exposure, <laughs> you know? which is bullshit. You know, I remember Spotify fucking people rejoicing because they're they're giving us fifteen percent of the art for the of the profit share. I'm like they're yeah. giving fifty percent of a thing that we make a hundred percent of their fucking their commerce of. You know? That's it's like, bullshit it's like, for sure. Like we make a hundred percent of the shit that they fucking make money off of, and they're giving us fifteen percent back. Yeah, and they only need like five motherfuckers to run that shit anyway. You know, it's like. <laughs> Like now, no one's, website, about, you know? no one's talking about that algorithm. shit. You don't, need, you don't need, like, a brick-and-mortar spot for that, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. And no one really talks about that. And I actually have a—it's called Third Coast Space Radio After Dark. Me and Luna are working on that. But we kind of get into those subjects where motherfuckers might get angry about what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, I mean— Streaming is what it is, you know. It's like it's what you have to do, you know. Like you, it's yeah. To be, I mean, to be an artist, you have to put your shit out there for free. Yeah. At this point, it's just and, what it and is. And so that's what we did as Pretty Lights. Yeah. And when we did the first album, we were like, we're gonna host our own web website and do a free download link with donations, you know. Yeah. You know what Bandcamp does now and shit. Um, but that was before all this, you know. And we were um, back then. You could reverse search on MySpace um, what uh, what people like for music. So it'd be like, oh, Blockhead, RJD2, Bonobo, Thiefery Corporation, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, DJ Shadow, just people that we liked at the time, you know, that were kind of like uh, instrumental, down-tempo-y, kind of hip-hop-based production, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And then I'd, I'd write an individual message to each person, be like, hey, man, what's up? I see you like these artists. Like, we're this band that's, you know, up and coming. We want to give you a free album in this style. And I can... <laughs> 80% of people are like, fuck you, Stan. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Like, I was literally just trying to give them free music, and they're like, nah, I don't trust that. I don't believe that um, shit. So, so it was like, <laughs> it was an uphill battle, but I remember it's like, a fucking in the first, grind. I remember, you know, us going from like selling a thousand CDs in a year on the road and stuff to like 30,000 people download our album in the first month, you know? And I was like, yeah. You know, from all over the world, you know, we had like hundreds, hundreds of downloads in Switzerland and stuff like that, where I was like, no, that's it badass. Like you reach things that you wouldn't be able to reach with a physical copy. Trying to right. yourself after a show. And, I mean, it was such a it was a model that I remember Forbes magazine wrote about us and about how Radiohead in Rainbows used our business model to release their show. Holy shit. Um, so it was like... Where's the money, Radiohead? No. <laughs> hey, hey, I didn't get any money from the original band either. <laughs> so, no, that's... Uh, so I've, I've made zero dollars on most of my music. That's a super crazy... Gr <laughs> it's a super crazy grind, but it's like, you know... Uh, uh, the people love you for it, you know. The oh people yeah, yeah, for sure. The thing is, you know, music is a, it's a bottomless well, <laughs> and to be able to be a drop in that well is is amazing, you know. And, 100%. And, and and to be able to be, to hear the stories from people that like they're affected by my music and that like the yeah. moments in their life that like a song helped them through it. Like I have moments like that in my life, you know. Yeah. And yeah. That's fake ass fucking blunt rap. I hate this <laughs> shit. Uh, uh, um, the, you know, like uh, it's. That's the payment. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Like, if I never win a, a Grammy or an award, it's like I, I'll I'll die happy knowing that like I affected even one other person with my music. You know, like that's the thing. And, and going back to the money side of it, it's like I realized that like you know, and and, and I was you know, my buddy Muxmole and I talked about this a lot. We were like, dude, the reason why a lot of artists get uh, you know get taken advantage of is because we'll bleed and die for this shit for free. So yep. all it takes is a, co a company going like, oh, you do this for free? Cool, I'll give you five cents. Yeah. You're like, Dope. <laughs> 100%. You know? um, and and that's the thing is it's like you you realize it's like I I was doing this shit when I was working, you know, 45 hours a week, 50 hours a week at Walmart, you know, in between pretty lights and my own shit, you know? And I was like yeah, working there so I can get insurance to fix the, the hernia I got from getting stabbed, you know? Um, so shit like that where it's like, I realize that, like, no matter what, I'm going to be doing this in any time yeah. I have, you know? Yeah. So it's, like, the money thing is, like, cool. When it comes, it comes. And, I mean, anybody, I mean, unless you're, like, you're really good at budgeting, anybody knows that, like, no matter how much money you got, it's go, it enough. comes and goes as fast as it comes. It's a fucking goes. energy. You know, it's, it's, like, I can have $10,000 in my account and not have it in, yeah. in a couple of weeks. Straight up. And, or I can have, you know, $10,000 and be miserable, and I can have $0 and be happy. You know, it's like, yeah. it has no, it has no real weight on, yeah. or bearing on I definitely my... definitely look at it as like an energy, yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, it, it sucks that like everything costs money, like living costs money, you know, because like that's... <laughs> so that's you want to live? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, um, but other than that, it's just like, it's, it's an afterthought when it comes to music, you know? Right. So like... You know, like, with the grind you've been on, the grind you've been doing your entire life, like, you know, this this path as a musical artist, is there anything you feel like, you know, you've learned so far that you might not have learned on any other path in life? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of how to articulate it. I, I, I guess the, the main thing is just knowing that, like, that, like, because, I mean, you know, I, I did good in school. I got good grades. I could have gone to any college I wanted to, really. I could have done whatever. You know, I was trying to be an architect for a while. But at the end of the day, it's like... I mean, it's... it's 
the, the basic lesson is just the you know like the whole like do something you love and you know, you know you're never really working a, a day in your life and it's that thing but it's also just like yeah like like the main thing I learned is that there's so much of our culture and our society that's just like finish the step to get the next step you know and then like like, like <laughs> yeah. and then maybe one day when you're 65 you'll be able to take a break you know that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. where I was just like the I fuck? felt that at an early age and I was like. No, oh, fuck that, you know. No, I die tomorrow. No like, I want to live now, you know. I don't want to, like, work at a shitty job that I hate, Yeah. you know, five days a week. And, I mean, some sometimes you have to do that. I've had to do that in between, you know, in between high points in my career, you know, where it's like I had to work at Walmart. I mean, you know, yeah. Pretty Lights was fucking blowing up, touring the country. I was working at 5 a.m. at Walmart in the deli, you know. So it was like <laughs> shit happens, you know, but it's like you— Untold stories. But, but, but you, but <laughs> like, you take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, and you and you realize that that's just part of it. And and it made me just— pre- and, and that thing, that too, like having the having the lows and the breaks, you know, I think like— Yeah. I think like anybody that gets it easy doesn't appreciate it, you know? Whereas it's like— hundred. Because I've had to work every step of the way. And like even now it's like, you know, like— Climbing my way back up, you know, it's like I like before the pandemic, like 2019, I was playing the Fillmore and shit, you know. Right. Now, like, like you know, my, my first show back in Colorado was like the other side of Cervantes, which I love that venue. But you know, it's just like it's a, yeah, it it's humbling, you know, it's it's humbling to be like, all right, I have to fucking, you know, it makes you realize that the shit's fleeting, and and also it just makes you realize that like it's all, it's all waves of shit, you know. It's like and, and if you if you judge yourself based on the venue size or how many listens you get, you're never gonna fucking succeed. You know? Yeah. It's like, because that's not, I mean, very, maybe now more people do, but very few people get into music for the business side. You know what I mean? Like, most people get into it because it's like, that's the shit that they do. That's the shit that makes, that's that's the thing that keeps them from killing themselves. Yeah, for sure. And, and, um, not to be morbid, but you know, like, that's just like, (laughs) it's that thing that just makes life worth living. And it's like the only thing that like, makes sense to me really, you know, is like creating and being able to like, take the shitty parts of me and transform them into the beautiful parts of the music, you know? No, 100%. I fucked with that. So being able to, you know, like, so just having that appreciation for it, I guess, is what I've learned the most of, you know? It's like, and especially, like, the thing I've learned in during COVID is just, like, there was a lot of shit that I, that we were all taking for granted, you know? <laughs> like, yep. we were just, we were all on kind of yep. autopilot for a long time. Very long time. Just, just letting shit fucking fall where, where it fell and just partying and just doing whatever and not really realizing how blessed we were to do any of that, you know? Mm-hmm. And now being back, it's like, everybody's got that sense of like, yo, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it last this time, you know? Yeah. And so it's, we don't know if it's, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's very fleeing. The shit can be, fleeting. it can be gone tomorrow. <laughs> oh, man, I mean, you know, I, I, I have friends that were, you know, like they were making $20,000, $30,000 a show five, 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. They retired. They're like, I can't, no one wants to book me, you know, that kind of thing where it's just like, yep. that shit is like, you can't control. I and mean, that's the side of it that sucks is that any, anytime you're in a thing, look at this fucking shitty blunt. Um, <laughs> any, anytime you're, you're in a thing that's, that sides with the, with commerce, it's like you, you're, you're at the whim of popularity and of trends. You yep. know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, if, if there's a takeaway I've gotten is like, don't, don't value yourself based on that, you know, because you're going to yeah. fail. Cause eventually not not everyone can be the Rolling Stones where you're cool for 50, 60 years. You know? Yeah, it's like, like you're people like there's gonna be trends that, that make you that make people go oh, that that guy sounds like old news or whatever. You know, and it's like right. you can evolve with that and just or just not even care about it, or you can let let it stick with you. You know, fuck yeah, then, no, that's a valuable lesson because I was just gonna ask like if you could go back like ten years and give yourself some advice or some advice to an up and coming artist right now, like what would that be? 
Um, don't don't take it also personally. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one. That's a because very hard one. It's a hard one. Motherfuckers don't respond. People are you know acting a yeah. certain way, and it's like, do they not like me? Is it something wrong with me? That's a hard one. You know, uh, there's there's this comedian I really like named Burt Kreischer. Um, and, I fucks with him. <laughs> He's got this podcast called Two Bears, One Cave with uh, with Tom Segura, and they were talking about, you know, he was talking about his early days, about, uh, and they were talking about one of their managers, you know, they had early early on, in, uh, or their agents or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, it was one of those shows, shows where Bert, like, bombed really bad, you know? And he was, like, coming off of it, being like, oh, man, like, they're all gonna, they're all gonna think about, like, how bad I did, you know? He's, like, so certain that everyone's gonna remember that. And, and the guy's, like, what do you think about right now? You think about yourself. So is every other motherfucker in here. Don't worry about what they think about you. They don't think about you when you leave stage. You know, yeah. it's like that shit's gone. You know, yeah. like, like like if you do good, great. If you do bad, it'll, they'll fucking get over. It. You know yeah. I mean? it's like maybe they'll talk about it for a day on Twitter or something. But it's that thing where we all think that like these bad moments and these things that happen to us are so personal. But it's like everyone's in their own fucking shit. You know. Yeah. And so it's like. If people treat you badly, it's probably because of them, not because of you. Some you know, shit that's happening. Like, yeah, and, and just because of their own insecurities. You know, it's like a lot of people when they, when they get fucked with, you know, like when life fucks you over. There's two choices. You you, you could you could sit there and be like, I'm gonna make sure that I don't fuck anybody else over, or you can be like, I'm gonna pass this on because I I deserve <laughs> to do this to someone else. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so it's like, you can't control what people do with that. You know, and some people choose that dark route, you know, where they want to just keep the shit rolling downhill, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, like, it's... And and also just the like, advice for people early on is, like, you know, like, like, don't let criticism get you down, but also, like, listen to it. Because I was so... I had yep. such a chip on my shoulder because when I was coming out, that's right, right when, like, dubstep was blowing up, you know? <laughs> and so everything was like, yo, bro, you gotta have bigger drops and all this shit, you know? And I was like, that's not, I don't come from that world. I don't want to do that. Like, you, yeah. Y'all have that covered. You yeah. Know? Like, I, don't, I want to do my shit. Doing that. You know, it's like, but at the same time, it's like, slowly, like, you know, like, like, like there's a part of me that's like, if I would have taken that to, to heart and just, like, not leaned into it, but just, you know, been, been aware of it and, and not, not just opposed to it the whole time, you know? Like, if mm-hmm. I would have embraced it when it was right, then it would have helped me on, help me along the right, the road, you know. Instead right. of just being like stubbornly like, no, I'm gonna make my shit lo-fi and just like not sound great on a system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. Oh, and you know, let's uh, that's a good segue actually. You know, um, like let's hop into like your mind as a producer as it is now. Um, like, uh, like what's your favorite doll? What do you use to produce? I use Ableton. Ableton? Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's just a tool? Do you feel like every doll is the same? Or do you feel like Ableton has, like, specific things that, like, you know, how do you feel about that? So, I got the MPC 2000 XL over there. That was, like, one of my favorite things growing up. Because I started out with DOS. I started out with Acid 2.0. Oh, shit. Um, and then, uh, actually, I started out with Cool Edit Pro before that. Um because my dad had it because he was using it to transfer, like, tapes and old recordings from Polish stuff to, to nice. like, CD. Okay. You know? Um, so it was just on his computer. And I yeah. Was like, oh, I can sample on this. I can chop things up and put them together, you know? It's fucking wild. Um, <laughs> and he saw I was doing that, so he got me acid for, for Christmas when I was, like, 16 or 17. Um, and then I started using, like, Cubase and Cakewalk and all the other ones back then. Um, eventually got to... Um, Reason and then Ableton, but Ableton I was like it was like Live Two or Live Three, and I was just using it for like looping basically. I would like 
set up all my stuff through a mixer and then be able to like play a song with like keyboards and stuff like that in and just kind of like have a have a like kind of like what Mark uh, Rebier does, you know, where it's like the yeah like the live like live thing. live looping yeah. Um, less less well done than he does obviously you know? <laughs> he's, he's a master at it but like it was that, that kind of idea if you want to know like what I was doing with it um, I wasn't using it as a production tool yet because it was okay. still kind of clunky in that sense at least for me you know yeah. um, and uh, and then I was and then I kind of um, yeah I, I mean I was using all kinds of other stuff uh, and then I got back to live around like live six or seven okay and Really liked it. I mean, the reason I like it, I've used Pro Tools. Uh, I've dabbled in Logic and different things, Fruity Loops. Um, but Ableton is just so easy. It's It makes it so that, you know, there's, like, the MPC, it's a great tool. Yeah. And, and I'm glad I learned it, but it's, like, now going back and trying to make a beat on the MPC, it's, like, so time-consuming because <laughs> you're sitting there, like, scrolling this thing. too much shit. The and the front end, you're, like, scrolling this thing, you know, like, in, and you're dealing with this little Game Boy Color screen, you know? It's like, yeah. Like that's cool. Like if you want to be a keep it realer, you know, like you can do that. And it's like, yeah. it's, it's I want I encourage people to still learn those things because it's like it helps you in other ways. You know, it's like for sure it, it, when you fine tune things like that and when you play with it, you know, um, hands on and menu dive on a on a thing that has like a limited uh, amount of commands. You know, it's like yeah, you learn how to work within those confines. Boost you know? your creativity for sure. Um, but with Ableton, it's like literally just drag and drag. You can just drag things, copy things. It's like it's just it's like a sketch pad, you know? Like like you can you can go so f- you can go as fast as your brain lets you, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. Which a lot of other dolls aren't like, which a lot of standalone stuff isn't like, you know? Um mm-hmm. and I like that because it's like as a tool it's like it's so malleable. It's so easy to just to just um to match samples, to retune things, to stretch things, to, you know, to uh, Autom- automate and modulate tempos and yeah. anything, you know, to, to map this to this. And, you know, through Max, uh, through the Max for Live, you can, like, you know, put LFOs on anything. You know, like you can just, it's just, there's just so, you know, and not just LFOs, but, you know, it's like, there's, like the possibilities. <laughs> no. are, and, Ableton and is like, like Ableton just, slaps. <laughs> and, and so you can really just, it's it's just this beautiful sandbox to play in, you know? Right. Um, and, and honestly, like, in the last f- decade, it, the sound quality is, has been, become where it's it, you can't tell it's like made in live you know like yeah I, like between like in the two the early 2000s you could hear when things were recorded on pro tools like you, you could kind of hear just like the digital polishedness you know it sounded really good but it was like it just had a sound you know yeah just how like uh the sb 1200 had a sound or the you know like the like different beat machines had sounds you know like the 808 yeah. has a sound you know it's like um dogs have the same thing but like now it's just with how good computers are the the disparity is is getting smaller. It's you know? almost like, like, like frightening, like what a person can do just with their fucking laptop these days. <laughs> like, oh yeah, the fuck. <laughs> it's balancing that with like the the continuous thing that you know most producers have, where it's like, oh, just this one more piece of gear. I just this is one, <laughs> it's one thing, and then my sound's complete. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, that uh, that like, I mean, all this shit. That's a hard. Know, like, that's a very easy thing to fall into, like that gear grind. I did that shit for a couple of years myself, and I was like, wait, what the fuck am I doing? What's your go-to like piece of hardware? Do you have like a go-to like VST? Like, what's your what's your uh, procedure when you open up the DAW and it's blank? Um, I mean, it depends. Uh, you know, recently for the last period, I've been I've gotten back into just because I did like the pretty fantastic thing where I was just doing straight like no samples, playing all instruments and, and doing stuff, you know. And then yeah. like same with the what my Body High album. It's like no samples, just 
VSTs and and synths and analog gear, you know. Um, and I I really like sampling, <laughs> and it's like. Right now, I'm just in that phase, you know? That wave of it. <laughs> right. I don't know why I'm explaining all this stuff like I'm in court or something. But, uh, uh, <laughs> nah, this is what the fucking people want to hear, though. <laughs> I'm sampling because uh, it's not just because I don't know how to play instruments. No. Um, but yeah, it's like, uh, I basically, like, I'll, I'll go through and just, like, like, poppers, you know? Or the boppers right there. Yeah. It's got a bunch of records, actually. I'm going to pull one out and just fuck around. Fuck yeah. Um, in a second here. But. I'll, I'll either start with a record or I'll listen to a bunch of records and then, and kind of record things in that could be samples. And then as soon as something catches me, we're like, oh, okay, I got a, a definite idea how to flip that. Yeah. I'll move that over to a session and start working with it. And then kind of like a lot of times I'll just go through a bunch of other records until I find little pieces that I think will work with that. And, to, and I get like, you know, five to 20 pieces from different records and kind of like use them as like, colors in a palette, you know, to paint like the base of it and then like build drums around it, build bass lines and, and synths and things like that around that. And then, you yeah. know, negative space addition, negative space addition, back and forth until it sounds good, you know? Right. Um, but I mean, sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll have a melody in my head and I'll come and like play on the keys or sometimes I'll be fucking around with the keys and it'll just stumble onto something and I'll start with that. So it's, just, it depends what, what I'm going for. But lately it's been because I'm, I'm, I'm back here, and I just been, you know, in Cali I had a, a room full of records, and here I just started buying records again. Yeah. To get a, a secondary collection here, and so I'm just like, it's like, it's like exciting to populate the halls of the, of the grand <laughs> of the great room. Fuck yeah, <laughs> well, super dope. Um, so yeah, and then yeah, I mean it's you know, go to VSTs. Um, I use a lot of the Slate stuff. Um, it's subscription based, but their sound quality is really good, and it doesn't bog down the CPU. That and Plugin Alliance. Um, there's a lot of cool like emulators of things. Like the there's like a purple um, pre that's like a good emulator of the 1176 compressor and stuff. Okay. Um, for synth VSTs, uh, the what's it called? Um, Sonic Academy, I think, puts out. And it's through Slate. They put out a synth called Anna. It's okay. really good. It's very powerful. And it has, like, um, it just sounds really good, and, and you can get almost any kind of thing with it, you know? Yeah. Everybody I know uses Serum. So yeah. I just got Serum. Was like, <laughs> Splice, because I, I was like, I have a bunch of Splice credits. I'm like, I never use, you know? <laughs> They um, fucking trick you with that shit, right? <laughs> I, know, I, have, I have friends that, like, forgot, because uh, cause Splice was started by one of the dudes from the Disco Biscuits. Oh, shit. Um, okay. If I'm correct. Now you know. What if, what if I'm way wrong? No, but, but be, uh, not just because of that, but like a lot of people, like just either got in early through it, you know, yeah, like, uh, through hookups, or just started supporting the homie early, you know, and did like the nine ninety nine subscription and forgot yeah. about it for ten years. That's wild. Like, I, I got thirty thousand splice credits, you know. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, um, uh, yeah. So so there's there's a lot of good things. I mean, you know, it's. I encourage people, the one, the one thing I'll say is, if you're just learning to make beats, get loop packs, you know? But if you're doing your own shit, and I mean, this may sound hypocritical because I'm looping people's records and sampling <laughs> shit, but it's still, it's a lot more exploratory and you learn a lot more about music, even if I just listen to that record, than if I just 
Google fucking Wurlitzer loop or, you know? Yeah. Pian like, moody piano in E minor. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, there's just, there's something about doing a little bit of exploration, whether it's personally on an instrument or through finding records versus just going to a, a library where you can download stuff with records, right. you know? Yeah, um, you begin to find your, like in, in doing those, you begin to find your sound, you know? Yeah, yeah, and and it's just, I mean, you know, it's music is exploration, imagination, and communication, you know? Um, so it's like those things, you know, you can expand all those things with, with learning through loops, you know? Like, I, I mean, I was doing that with Acid Pro, you know? It's like that yeah. came with like a CD of like a bunch of stuff and then all of a sudden I had drum beats and bass lines and you start moving things around and then like, it lets you kind of get to the point where you can become a better producer because you have these tools and you can see what you do with producing them, right? Like yeah. you, can, you, you can take certain elements and offset, you know, offset the drums by a half beat and you see how everything sounds when it's on the upbeat all of a sudden. You know, things like that. Like there's yeah. just, there's just things you can do when you have all those tools where you can learn skills that like if you were just learning from the basis of like I got to play all these parts in, you might not learn, you know? Because right. So, so there is a very valuable part of that. But I think that if you get stuck in that thing, it's just you're missing out on a big part of the discovery and just like the fun of like stumbling upon something that like you feel like is like, you know, like I'll find records and it's like, oh, this is like a magic treasure. Or like when you when you play something, you're like, oh man, that that chord progression gives me this feel, you know, like and I've been looking for that, you know, and like that's the kind of thing that makes me feel good when I listen to music. So it's like, yeah, it's, there's, there's a, there's more reward and more vulnerability and um, and whatnot in that, I think. But I mean, whatever, you know, there's, I mean, there's, there's to each his own. There's people on the, there's people on the, on the top 10 that use, you know, packs. So it's whatever. 100%. So let me ask, how do you, whenever you're preparing for your sets, you know, your live sets, yeah. how do you prepare for your sets? Um, I'll basically, if I have a lot of time before shows, I will spend time uh, imagining the flow of a set because I, uh, unlike what a DJ would do, which is be able to play to the energy of the room, you know, which I'll still do. Like I'll have some choose your own adventure moments where I'm like, I can go this way or this way. Yeah. But I try to plan out my sets like a, like a movie, you know, I try to have, have like a, like a story arc and kind of like an overlying theme and things overlapping, you know, like yeah. if you listen a lot of times, there'll be like a, a vocal sample at the end of a song that like, oh shit, that's kind of talking about what this next sample, the next song saying, you know, like I try to have it. So like, okay. if you're paying attention, there's nuggets of shit that you'll catch that like keeps the theme going or like turns one theme into another or like, you know, transforms the energy. Um, and so while I'm doing that before a show, me and my uh, front of house engineer bestie, um, mixing, mastering, scholophonic sound creator, <laughs> uh, Born Town, uh, me and him will just sit around and like play video games and smoke blunts and listen to songs that I have or work on a song and kind of think about how to transition it from the existing way into the next song, you know? So like I'll kind of like pull the two together. That's hardcore. And almost like produce transitions sometimes, you know? Not yeah. to all of it, but like there'll be, I'll, I'll work on a few for every set and then if it works, I'll use it for other sets and and then by the, you know, sometimes I'll have three or four different arcs. That's like where the choose your own adventure thing where it's like, okay, I'll have a version of this cool. where like, you know, and, and a lot of that, it's like my friend, uh, my friend James Nassett, James Two. um, who I do 
uh, Mossy Projects with. He's trophy Beats. Great producer, great weed grower out in uh, Oregon. Um, him and my buddy David Jarian, who's an amazing producer as well. He's in Trophy Beats. Uh, goes by 96. He's a visual artist. He did a lot of the Pretty Lights uh, stage designs and the, and the content for it. Fuck yeah. Um, just saw him this weekend. Great turntablist. Uh, most hated person at the party. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were, you know, they had a band called Prep School. And mm-hmm. when I was first going out and uh, playing shows, we kind of started a crew called Antimatter. Um, and that never really blew up or, or, or took off from there. But it was just kind of like a, a bunch of us homies kind of making music. Anyway, yeah. I'm giving you way too much backstory. No, I love it. Tidbit. I love but, it. You know, <laughs> it's like my brain works where it's like it's a spider web from one idea. Like, oh, I'm going to have to talk about all these other legs of the well, This is like the fucking Joe Rogan of podcast <laughs> music trust. People love this shit. <laughs> so, 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 um, so they were doing uh, uh, like, an, like an electro electro house kind of upbeat kind of disco-y vibe project called prep school I, I probably described it wrong but anyway um and they would edit their stuff um where basically they would have like you know 16 bars of drums at the beginning of the song with nothing on it you know and then the end of the last song would have like just like 16 bars of the music you know what i mean yeah so it's like they would have this transition thing where they could like the beat would change but the top of the, you know, like 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 for doing like more dance dance based stuff because in right. especially in dance music you want to keep the beat going, <laughs> you want to have dropouts be like intentional but keep the energy, you know, right. people want to keep moving. So I was watching them like pr- pr- produce their songs into their sets and it like just kind of planted that seed early on, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Interesting. Um, that like I should make kind of a little bit different versions of the songs. You know, I shouldn't just play shit that's like the, the album version. You know, I should have versions. Right. That I'm, you know, and then I also I pull part I pull layers off to play on the MPD, um, so on the pads. So I'll be playing bass lines most songs, sometimes drums, sometimes like a lead sample or whatever. You know, right? Um, so there's a bit of just opening up the session anyway and having to redo it. So like, in that I've just been like, well, why don't why don't you know like in the last year or two I've been like, well, why don't I just actually make the song better and kind of bring it up to date. You know, like if there's, if there's things that have been bugging me about it where I'm like, oh man, I wish I would've made the drums like this, I'll just do that. I'll be like, I'll yeah. do a live version. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, and just making the, you know, the, the, the drums a little beefier and things like that. Just kind of having, having something that like, because sometimes you don't want to like, especially for albums, I don't want to have something that's like, got a snare that makes you blink. You know, you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Um, Shout out to Brother Ali. He had a line that was like, I like my stare so loud it makes your eyes blink from it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, it's so, so there's a, there's that element where it's like, when I'm listening to the album, I want to be able to get into it and not be like hurt by the drums, you know? Yeah. Whereas like when I'm playing, when shit's live, I want it to be slamming. So it's like, I'm with that. that, you know? I'm and I have like alternate that. versions. I like that a lot. So this part <clears throat> is actually kind of a new segment uh, for this season. Um, it's been a question that I've been wanting to ask people, but for some reason I just fucking haven't. But what do you do outside of music, bro? What are your hobbies and shit? Oh, man. I have a, it's hard to tell, man. <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Eating, sleeping. Does that count? Um, yeah, someone who's in, as dream, entrenched as you are. Is, dreaming about moving to Spain. No, I don't know. Uh, Shrimps uh, are legal out there. It's dope. Everything's legal out there. <laughs> oh, every fucking thing? Yeah, man. They decriminalize everything. Oh, shit. <laughs> shit. Uh, that's not why I'm moving, Mom. 
<laughs> but yeah, I just um, been wanting to know, like, you know, I know everyone they fuck with music and shit, but it's like, you know, do you you like flying kites or like, you know, like, what are your hobbies outside of this? Like, what do you like to read about and I shit? I like hiking. I like um, honestly, video games. If I'm not doing this, I'm playing video games or hiking or cooking or walking around. You know, fuck yeah, um, record shopping. I like to spend as much time as I can with people that I love, you know? So yeah. I spend time with my wife. Um, I like to travel. Um, I like to spend time with my friends. We back to Denver and Colorado. I've been hanging out with... Uh, my mom's had some health issues, so I've been hanging out with her some. Um, she's been getting better, so now it's just like hanging. That's good. Like, uh, helping take care of her or anything, you know? I think that's... You know, really doing nothing is, yeah. is my favorite things. You look at like... Like Buddhism and stuff, and it's just being content with just stillness and just being, you know, just being like, I just whatever is happening, that's cool, you know. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so I guess, you know, failed attempts at self improvement and doing nothing. <laughs> I fucks with that a hundred percent. I like that a lot, which <clears throat> which is actually a good segue because I got a couple of new questions, but like, um, this is another one, but like, are you? And this is more just like philosophical, but like, are you satisfied with your journey with where you are so far? You know, I am satisfied, but not in the sense where I'm I'm content. You know? Okay. Um I would say it's not the end of my journey. So right. I I'm not, I haven't reached gratification or satisfaction yet, you know? I feel that. Um and I'm happy I've you know, I've said this in different interviews and different times because it's really I think another piece when you were talking about advice earlier, it's 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 talking about it now, it's there's a thing that we think that when things don't work out, it's like these great tragedies, you know? Like whether it's a breakup or you, you know, you lost your job or, you know, you get punched in the face or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Whatever bad thing happens, whatever hurdle happens where those feelings where you're like, man, I don't know, I don't know why that happened to me. I don't deserve this. Like that's fucked up, you know? Like I'm a good person. Yeah. Well, why is life doing this? You know, it's like, those things aren't the end of your journey, you know? And it's, it's like, I've just started, like, much like I plan out my sets, like a, like a, a book or a story or a movie, I try to do that with seeing my life, you know? And if yeah. it's a story, then it's like, I'm not at the ending yet, you know? So it's not going to be a happy ending yet, you know? There's going to be moments where it's really dope, but there's still going to be turmoil between here and the end, you know? Fuck yeah. And I'm, I'm prepared for that because it's like, you know, I, like, 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 for instance, getting stabbed right after we dropped the Pretty Lights thing and then watching Pretty Lights blow up while I was in the hospital and then recovering and then kind of realizing I wasn't in the project anymore and humbling myself working at Walmart while I was, like, working on Dreaming of a Bigger Life and, you know, um, doing all this shit that I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, how did that, how did this happen? You know, like, yeah. out of all the ways it could have happened, this is, this is probably one of the worst, you know? And, uh, but, like, you know, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have... There's a lot of things I wouldn't have been able to do. I wouldn't have been able to be there for my dad when he was dying, you know? Like, I, I was able to go to him with the national at the National Institute of Health and be a caregiver because I I wasn't on tour and I didn't have, like, a, a busy life that I couldn't just put on hold, you know? Right. And it's, like, me being a fuck-up and all the things that I did wrong led to me being able to have that openness in my life to be there for my dad when he needed somebody, when everybody else had, like careers and stuff and like I could be there for a little bit but I can only get so much sick time you know whatever I was like fucking I could be there for months you know yeah um 
and not that our family wasn't there. Our family was all there for my dad, but it was just me personally. It was a, a time where I realized, like, you were you were you were able to make the, the time yeah, for the sure. The things that I thought were hurt were keeping me back. Were like doing that for a reason, you know. Right. And like I was able to have that time that I'm so grateful for, uh, you know, and uh, and just all those things like. So much good came out of the shit that I thought was shitty, you know, that yeah. I don't, I don't, I try not to look at it anymore. You know, like when things go bad, you know, it's a, me and Borntown call it the director's cut. Like whenever we're traveling <laughs> and it's like, oh, here's another step, well, it's the director's cut. You yeah. Know? It's just like, yeah, for sure. All the pieces, I like you know? to say, I like to say all the time that the universe tends to naturally unfold as it should, you know, yeah. whether it be good or bad, for sure. So let me ask, uh, like what, what do you got going on in the future? What projects you got going on? You got some shows, new music, some... What's, what's up in the uh, future? I got a really dope project with my buddy, uh, Adam Tenenbaum, called Wooden Flowers. And um, we met while working for as sound designers and producers for Mickey Hart. And he's, just a, a, he's a really good um, left-field thinker and, and producer, you know? He, he does a lot of things that, um, that push me and push the sound yeah. in ways where I'm like, I'm very stoked to work with him. And we got, so we got our second album coming out. Um, doesn't have a title yet. We're in the process of mastering it, but it's coming out next month. Hell yeah. Um, so Wooden Flowers and then Mossy Projects with my buddy James, Jimmy. Um, shout out Jimmy. Come visit, buddy. Because uh, we got to finish that album. Gotta <laughs> um, yeah, get your ass over here. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of like a, that's where the kind of like smoke weed and listen to like Bobby head hip hop shit is, you know, like, like that's like the more like vibing kind of shit that I can, that, that I put out is like through Mossy projects with him, you know, where it's like us kind of having like, it's like the, it's like a Cheech and Chong buddy flick hip hop kind of thing, you know? <laughs> I flex with that. Yeah. Um, so that Mossy projects, wooden flowers, um, working on space jazz too. I'm also going to be dropping a lot of different singles, um, trying to just, keep the music coming out because I've I mean I was just like I was just looking through stuff and found like 20 beats that I forgot about in one section you know it's just things like that where I'm like oh I have like a hundred plus things that are unreleased but like <laughs> right got some shit I could be done, working on like I you know if I, I can just wrap it up and it doesn't a lot of it is from an era where I thought it all had to be towards an album and now, now it's like now it's like you can drop a song and people yeah people listen to that I feel you. Oh, yeah. We've been shouting out a ton of people, a ton of projects. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, Third Coast Space Radio has just been a platform. And obviously, it's fucking, you are legendary when it comes to this shit. So anyone you drop, I would be honored to have on. But if you could have some people on the show, who would you have on the show? Oh, man. Uh, Drew Birch um, of Recess. He's uh, an incredible musician and a funny motherfucker and just a good person. Fuck yeah. Um, late Night Radio. He's, you know, he's a good homie, real fucking, uh, real cool dude to talk to, just real open and, you know, heartfelt and just, just a, just a pure hearted dude, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Nick Gerlach, uh, he's, uh, he's on Andy Frasco's podcast, but he's, um, he's a sax player and he's just a, a, a kind of a funny dude. He's a, he's a personality. I love him. He's a great, I mean, he's a, he's a producer as well. He's multi-instrumentalist, super talented. Nice. I'm just, I'm just shouting out Denver Cats, you know? No, I'm but, totally about uh, it. Um, We're going to do our research yeah. and dive deep. <laughs> uh, shit, man. Uh, my buddy Lev since July. Him and uh, Todd Stoops are both cool-ass motherfuckers, and Todd's been in a ton of bands, and is just a, he has great stories, and is just a good dude. We're both good dudes, you know? I've known him forever. 
Um, Deitch, Borum, you know, Brain Science, yeah. those dudes, shit, there's an endless, vast plethora of, of knowledge from those two. They've been in, I mean, you know, they went for, they played in their own bands. They played with like uh, DJ Quick, Fuji's, you know, like things like that. So it's like, Fucking there's, super there's just, you know, um, Borum was like Kanye's keyboardist, you know. So it's like, there's a, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, a, you know, super dope shit. People that like, and 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 you know, that are, um, that are nearby, that are really, really smart, fun to talk to, good people that'll give you give third third coast bass a lot of fucking yeah. No, after good this, content. I, after this, definitely gonna do my research and fucking reach out to everyone. Yeah. Um, so I know you probably don't need any fucking. <clears throat> Everyone probably knows, but if someone wanted to find you on the internet, yeah. where can people find you? Where do you, where are your social medias? <laughs> well, just Google Hitman on the dark web, and uh, <laughs> we the topic. No. Um, uh, just Michael M I C H A L M E N E R T Michael Menert, and uh, yeah, or you can just look up Menert. That would be the first thing, you know, because you can misspell Michael, but it's like men and then Ert. It's easy. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah! So yeah. Yo, well, I just want to thank you so much, Mike, like, seriously, for your time. Like, this is this is a legendary experience for me. Um, hey, anytime, man. We'll do a follow-up next year. <laughs> yo, that'd be super fucking dope. So, at this point, bro, I'd give you a little chance to give some just last words of, you know, wisdom to the audience, to those listening. Oh, man. Don't take yourself too seriously because nobody else is taking you seriously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yo, thank you so much, bro. I appreciate it. Yo, there you have it. Third Coast Space Radio, Season 4, Episode 31. Be sure to like us and the respective artists involved as always. Yo, thank you guys so much for fucking sticking it out with us. We keep going up and up and up, don't we? Happy Halloween, bitches. Get weird. Blow, pow, pow, pow. <laughs>